Well, welcome to The Journey. Uh, my name is Kevin Polkey, and I am the host of The Journey. And today, uh, I have a special guest with us, uh, Adam Stivers. Uh, he is uh, right uh, in the Rockford area right now and working for, uh, working as a, we'll make sure I had this right, Assistant State's Attorney's Office, right? Nope, it's a public uh, no, defender. Public defender. Okay. All right. Public defender. And uh, so the other side, uh, yeah. the other side <laughs> of the, the other yeah. side of the table. So, so, um, and so, uh, so today, uh, you know, we're able to record this today because uh, we have uh, the, the Juneteenth uh, holiday is uh, a legal holiday now. And so we are, are able to record earlier in the, earlier in the day. So, so Adam, welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the journey. And um, whenever I have someone come on, I always ask the question of when you have an opportunity to have fun, uh, what do you what does Adam do to kind of get re-energized to have some fun? What what do you do for fun? Well, the main thing is just uh, traveling with my wife, Amanda, um, and we have a greyhound dog. And so number one is just, well, probably going for walks. That's my number one thing. Um, I'm really excited about the weather finally getting hot again. Uh, that seems to be, uh, the only time that I really like to get outside is when it's super hot out. So I'm excited that I'm off today. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to head off to the park and go for a long walk. But, um, yeah, that's basically it. We like to go up to the Lake Geneva area a lot, uh, Fontana. We like to go to Pier 290 and, um, just walk around the lake. And that's mostly it for us is quiet time and strolls <laughs> perfect and, and how long have you and amanda been together 22 years oh well yep. congrats congratulations <laughs> yep that's and so we've been married 17 now okay so yeah wow well congratulations are you from are you from the rockford area or yep i grew up in um all all over the place but mostly anchored around the rockford area and um I went to Rockford University. That's where I met Amanda. She was visiting one of her friends there. Um, okay. It was Rockford College back then, which I think is a way cooler name, but they yeah. changed it since then. And then, yeah, we uh, we got married and moved to Florida for two years, but we decided we liked the four seasons too much and had to come back. And um, yeah, we've been living in Rockford now ever since 2008. So Perfect. Okay. And then uh, what was your, when you were at uh, Rockford College or Rockford University, um, what were you, what did you study at that time? What were you studying at that time? I was an English major. So I have a bachelor's in English with a minor in secondary education and um, was a teacher for two years at North Boone High School, right out of college. And then I went back to NIU to get my master's in um, British and American literature. And that's when I uh, taught for two years down in Palm Beach County, Florida. We lived in Boynton Beach down there. And then in 2008, I decided to go to law school. Okay. Well, let's, yeah. Well, to first tell, tell us about a little bit about the idea of being an educator and obviously have a passion for, <clears throat> uh, for English and, and, and stories and, and, and writing. But uh, what, what, what led you originally, originally to become an educator? And then, and then tell us a little bit about then pivoting and, and going to law school. Yeah, so I had, I mean, everybody knows this about me. I had a rough childhood, so I escaped into books, and that's what I did from as soon as I could read. Um, I spent most of my time in school in the library, 
reading. And <laughs> when I would go to classes, we moved every year to a new place. So when I would go to the new place, I would just read everything for that year. And if the teacher gave us workbooks, things like that, I would just do all of them and then hand it into the teacher in like the first month and say, okay, I've done everything for the year. Can I go to the library now? And they would usually let me. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, when I was at Jackson Elementary here in Rockford, they didn't make me go to class basically ever. And I was in the, there was a little teacher's lounge that was between all the classrooms and I hung out in there and they had me grading the other kids' papers and stuff. <laughs> so I've always been sort of doing that since I was a kid. So then, you know, you take all the standardized tests, they test whether you read good or write good and do math good and things like that. And I always scored the best in reading and writing. And um, the recommendation on the end of the day always said teacher or lawyer. And so when I um, got up to college age, I said, you know what, I do like uh, teaching, I'm going to give it a shot. And I taught for two years here, like I said, and then um, I was getting paid $28,000 a year with 100,000 in student loans by that time, because I went to Rockford University. <laughs> so um, I knew that if I got a master's degree, you automatically got a pay bump. So I did that. And that only took me 18 months at NIU and then moved to Florida. I wanted always, I knew I wanted to have a terminal degree, some sort of doctoral degree, because I knew I was good at school and I um, wanted to achieve that goal ever since I was a kid. So when I started looking around, I figured out that there were no English professor positions basically in the whole country at that time. This was around 2006 and seven. Of course, the impending 2008 crash was coming, but nobody really knew it. But um, Anybody who had a job in teaching was keeping it until their 70s, 80s, 90s, till you threw them out. And the only way to get a job as a professor was adjuncts. You had to be part-time or you could keep teaching in high school. Um, so when I went to get a terminal degree, I called NIU and talked to them. And I said, listen, you know, what should I do here? NIU is such a good school. They have a really good program, especially for English. It's such a small little program. But they said, you know, you can go to law school. And so... I took the LSATs and applied at NIU back up here because I knew we were moving back and got in. And I started law school in August of 08, which is when Lehman Brothers crashed and the whole world went into a global recession. So that's that's how I became a lawyer. <laughs> gotcha. OK. And 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 so you finished law school. What year? What, how long did it take you to go through law school? Three years. So in 2011, May of 2011, I graduated and passed the bar luckily on my first shot. <laughs> okay. um, and then I had been working at a law firm in town here since 2009 as a clerk. I was lucky enough to get a clerkship as a 1L, what they call it, you know, your first summer. So that, um, and they paid me. So that was really lucky. And um, that was not the trend at the time. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, in our first January break, when we got back from Christmas break, they told us I don't know if it was true, but they said, you know, 10,000 lawyers in Chicago lost their jobs since August of 08, and you guys are going to have a real hard time. And when I got to that interview for my 1L clerkship, they said they were getting applications from partners in Chicago to come to Rockford to work as a clerk. So I considered it lucky to get any position at all. Wow. So I, I, I did not realize uh, at that time, I mean, I, I, I realized a lot of things that were happening. And during that time period, my, my, my brother-in-law is uh, 
those residential mortgages. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously I, I, you know, saw the inside of that, saw, saw the inside <laughs> of that piece of it, you know, and, and he, and this guy is like the most honorable high level of integrity. And so he rode the storm pretty well mm-hmm. because he never went down that path that a lot yeah. of individuals did. And mm-hmm. so, so, you know, it, and he just stayed true to who he was that whole time. So when he probably could have made a lot of money mm-hmm. uh he you know he chose to stay the the narrow path and uh and so then when the storm came uh he had a pretty strong foundation that people still mm-hmm. you know went to him obviously refis were the big thing you know more so <laughs> than more so than actual you know people buying homes but mm-hmm. um but I remember that time period. And, uh, and I also remember, you know, the counseling world was, you know, still, I had KP in 2001. So it was, it was steady, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I got in, I bought the Linden building in 2010 and started Mm -hmm. off with a wellness center, which Mm. conceptually may have been a good idea timing wise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it it wasn't, it wasn't great timing. And and four years later, I, I ended up, uh, pivoting and, and closing that and expanding KP to the whole building mm-hmm. instead of splitting it up. But uh, so I do remember that time period as well. So, uh, so as then, once you passed the bar, did you, have you always worked as a public defender or? No, I spent about 10 years saving rich people money on their taxes and absolutely hated it. It was a total okay. nightmare. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, since I got that job, I just stayed and I found that a lot of my friends were doing the same thing. Wherever they got a hook in, they ended up staying there because it was, you know, I don't know if Rockford ever recovered from 08, but, you know, it took a good four or five before people even started thinking that it was recovering. So that yeah. was well into my you know, third or fourth year of practice. And I had um, a client base built up and I worked with these two older guys. They were in their eighties and nineties. And um, so the things that I could do seemed like magic to them. So it was like, um, you know, drafting documents and making changes and all of that just was not a problem for me, obviously with the English background and things like that. So um, no, I, and so the practice was mostly estates and trusts. So I was planning um, estate planning and then handling administration of estates when people passed away. Mm-hmm. And with such old bosses, it was mostly, you know, people had passed away because it was their clients that they had prepared these things for. So, and I, I didn't hate that part of it. You know, I liked helping families through the storm, like you say, and, um, I was, I guess, uniquely positioned to help people in that situation because I had, um, I was basically blocked off emotionally. So I could be the guy that just goes in and says, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. We need to do that with like a crying widow. Mm -hmm. And she took it as a sign of strength. And I, you know, used that skill that I had to just move through that practice. But then eventually in, oh, about 2016, I struck out on my own and had my own practice called Stivers Legal for about three years. And that was doing really well, but it was just me. So I did everything. I was the secretary. I was the draft, um, the clerk, all of it. And it was just too much. And it was overwhelming and awful. Um, So then everything came to a head in June of 2018. And um, so I took 18 months off then. And finally, one of my friends was leaving the public defender's office here in Rockford. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. 
just because I have this completely different experience base doesn't mean I, I'm not going to find something that I could do there. So then I joined the public defender's office in December of 2019. So I worked here for a year in the DUI courtroom, and then they had an opening with the problem solving courts. And in 2019, I began giving talks about preventing attorney suicide. Um, and they understood that I was involved in the mental health community and things like that. So they assigned me to the problem solving courts when the opportunity came around. So, and that's drug court, mental health court, which we call tip court and then veterans court. And then recently we started something called the wellness track, which is when people pick up a bunch of misdemeanors for things like trespass, you know, nonviolent, uh, criminal damage uh, to property, low level things, which usually means that they're homeless and they're squatting somewhere frankly. So then um, the judges and the state's attorney and the public defender will recognize them as potentially needing the wellness track. And then they get assigned to me um, and the state's attorney that I work with in the problem solving courts. And then one of the judges, Judge Givens, it's sort of his pet project. So we try to get people associated with mental health services in the community. And if they follow along for three or four weeks of doing that, then the case is ultimately dismissed. And that's our goal. So um, yeah, so I found the absolute perfect position for me by a complete accident. Um, but I really feel like there's not a better use of my law license than doing what I'm doing right now. Sure. Yeah. And and so, yeah, tell us a little bit about how, I mean, you, you talked about how uh, learned how to compartmentalize and and uh yeah, you know all the terms for it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that you you talked about you know that shutting off that became an automatic response right mm -hmm. we have this armor that we have on all the time Brene Brown you know refers to it as is this armor and and really is 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 you know compartmentalizing or disassociation um mm -hmm. you know as a survival or defense mechanism right defense skill and um and, and then you know as we talk about as you know as a as an english major you know as campbell talks about this idea that either we're going to get called to something and accept that call or we're going to stay too long and hit a proverbial bottom um mm -hmm. and, and get thrust over into the chasm you know uh one way or another it's going to happen mm -hmm. right i mean uh and, and and i well i shouldn't say that there's there's some people right that that may figure out a way to continue avoiding the knocking on the door you know mm -hmm. and and that may you know that may definitely uh end up happening but uh but for the most part you know that you know it's either we accept a call or we get uh you know, we get thrust over there uh, mm -hmm. because we've stayed too long. Uh, tell us a little bit about that that piece where uh, getting thrust getting thrust over uh, the chasm, and then uh, and you can go into that aspect a little bit about you know that, but but most importantly, what did you learn that you wouldn't have learned if that wouldn't have happened? Yeah. So, um, in twenty eighteen, and right in the middle of the year. I, um, I lost one of my big clients and, um, it was a big, a big issue. Um, but what, what it did for me was, um, I guess I should give a little bit of a background. So that, um, since, uh, 2018, I've been in therapy once a week at least. Um, and, 
once I started to work on those issues, I, you know, they, they help you realize what you had been dealing with for longer than you thought you did. So when, when I had a crisis with my business in 2018, it made me feel like that was going to be it. And I was just going to commit suicide. Um, and what I thought though, when it happened was, okay, I'm not going to have to kill myself now. And I remember specifically what I did was I went to my office and I was sitting there and I was thinking, I actually was saying it out loud. You're not going to kill yourself. You're not going to kill yourself. You're not going to kill yourself. So what I have come to realize is that if I had kept going in my business, how I was doing it, I was setting up the dominoes to be able to take my life in a, in a way that would have made it better for everybody else. So um, specifically, I had bought a nice house in 2017. We had taken our um, two trips that were on our bucket list. I was like 36 years old and had a bucket list. And you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I've learned that too. <laughs> but I went to we went to Iceland together for our 10th anniversary. And then we went to a week in London and a week in Paris in 2017. We had gone to New York a couple of times. Um, so we had gotten all of the traveling that I had checked off the bucket list. And I had gotten a nice house. It had a place where my wife could teach yoga. Um, and then one of the last things in May of 2018, I got a million dollar life insurance policy. And I actually asked the insurance agent, now this covers suicide, right? And he said, yeah and wrote me the policy without any other questions about it. Um, so I, I was making all of these preparations and I feel like I probably wouldn't have made it to 2019 if there hadn't been this tremendous shakeup that happened in June. Um, because that made me realize, you know, you don't have to keep doing this horrible job the rest of your life and you don't have to jump out the window because it's not the only thing that you can do. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, him firing me saved my life, I guess, in a way, if you think of it that way. Um, what happened was then we moved back into our, our original house that we've been in for a long time, 15 years, um, sold the new one, went back to a smaller lifestyle. And um, I actually, at one point, was saying my goodbyes to my wife. Um, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, but that's what I was doing at the time. Um, and the the bottom that you're mentioning, for me, what that was, and I've heard it from other folks who have come back from that that brink also, was that I had convinced myself that everybody would be better off without me. And that was the last step. So I said to her, it's going to be fine. You're going to be better off without me. And I know that I've disassociated in the past now that I've been through therapy enough to understand that, but I don't remember her face after I told her that. I remember when I told her and it was in the kitchen of our house, but I don't remember what happened after that. Um, and then when I do remember is my brother was sitting at the table. So I know she called my brother and they came over and they were talking to me about this and they tried to figure it out. And they called the lawyer assistance program. They just figured that out on their own. And a guy over there named Tony Passioni, who's in charge over there, he got me an appointment with one of your counselors at KP the next day, and I've been seeing her ever since. And um, so they got me stabilized. They got me so that I was um, aware of what I was dealing with. They got me a proper um, education about my mental health issues, which were 
I always thought OCD and anxiety and things like that, but it's really PTSD from complex trauma because my um, childhood abuse and neglect that carried through into adulthood with my parents. Um, and so through all of that, they, they got me stabilized. I even started medication in the middle of um, 2019, which I think also got me stabilized to the point where I could even consider getting a job again. And then I finally, like I said, I applied here in December of 2019 and I've been working here ever since. So, yeah. So did the job make me suicidal? No, um, obviously it didn't. And the more I think about it, I used to trace it back to 17. I, I remember when I was 17 thinking, okay, I can stay alive because this record exists. And the, the record was, uh, Radiohead's OK Computer that came out and it just, it made me realize that there are other people who have these sort of feelings in the world and that there's other ways to express it. And there's a community of people that you can become involved in, um, but also just the beauty of the music. So when you're in that kind of a situation, it, it does come down to what's going to get me through today. Yeah. Um, and so music has always been mostly the thing that got me through the day that day. Um, but as I think about it more, I, I even remember back to almost like 13 now, the more I study it and look back, I really stopped caring about living or dying by around 13. So um, to go from 13 to 38, that was a real long downhill slide. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just thankful to be here still. <laughs> and so um, I'm trying to use it for, you know, for good now yeah well you know it's 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 interesting and, and i'm and i'm i'm pretty sure you're aware that i have a, a non-profit that is called mm -hmm. shatter our silence and and we talk about you know the factors that lead to young adult suicide but suicide in general mm -hmm. and um and and so i spend quite a bit of, I, I would have never thought if you would have asked me and i started it in in 2000 uh the, the winter of 2015 and then we had our first event in 2016 if you if you would have asked me in 2014 uh, if i'd be spending the majority of my time teaching uh and educating individuals on the factors that lead to young adult suicide i would have been like you're no <laughs> no i won't be <laughs> um because i knew i, I knew you know what what most clinical social workers know and counselors know but i didn't know enough to talk about it and, mm -hmm. and, and let alone teach about it but um but you know that you know came as a result of being asked to help out with some schools specifically rockford christian that had lost uh three of their uh three out of their 100 uh uh, students uh in 2014 mm -hmm. the graduating class of 2014 and um and so that that's how that all you know started but we talk about this idea of um and, and i and i never want to minimize it but that that suicide is this permanent solution mm -hmm. to to something that when we step back away from it when we get farther down the road we can see that it was temporary it, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a temporary moment even though it feels like it, it's it's everything right yeah. and and i can't hang you know can't hang on anymore and 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 then there's these unconscious things probably going back to like you said 13 if not before of this decision to compartmentalize and not feel anymore yeah. and and what comes with that is then not caring right mm -hmm. uh, about and and 
and we don't even know that it's that's eroding things away you know that's 100 percent. is you just don't even like i didn't know i was making a plan yeah even though i had such a strong and solid plan i didn't know that i was doing that when i was doing it um and it took me years of therapy to even understand that i had a method chosen and things like that um so yeah it's it does sneak up on you and I think that why to to your point and to the work that you're doing is why it's so important for us to to talk about it mm-hmm. is is and just having being able to get, invite people to have conversation about it or just to listen that because there's there are especially when especially when there's complex trauma mm-hmm. there's there's added elements of that things may be happening behind the scenes and and you know I've had hundreds of people tell me, well, I just thought this is how life was. Mm-hmm. I just thought that this is how life or this is how life was for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like, so it's really hard then for a person to know that it could be different if this is what they've experienced for two plus decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to um, say, I used to have to leave like family gatherings or anything social And the only way I could explain it to people is that I felt like the room was on fire and I had to get out. Um, But that's what it always felt like to me. Uh, So I would have acute anxiety and panic attacks and things like that a lot. And I really haven't had that in years. And I'm not even on any medication anymore for a long time um, where my teeth felt like popcorn, like they felt like they were going to pop and fly out like they were so hot. And that's how it would come for me in like waves. And um, so in those moments, you obviously know there's something going on. You got to stop, <laughs> get out, get out of whatever the situation is. But the slow burn background stuff, um, you just become used to. And at one point, uh, after we bought that new house and everything in 2017, my wife said to me, so because we had done a lot of repairs on the place and things like that. And she's like, so um, everything's done with the house. Are you happy now? And I said to her, I haven't been happy for one second or one minute of my entire life. And I do remember that look, which is probably why I shut off the second time I said something like that to her. So, and she asked, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't remember a time when there wasn't a black cloud up here where there wasn't anything else getting through. So the cloud can go higher where I feel like everything's going better down here but there's always the cloud and there wasn't ever an opportunity for me to see the sun ever in my life. Like it was always just overcast. And, um, after God, how long was it? Probably a year, uh, a year of therapy, maybe a year and a half. I was sitting outside in the sun, which is something I like, like I said, I like to do. Um, and I was just laying on a lounge chair, and I felt a warm, it was like an orb or something, like a warm glow inside. And I f- immediately started to freak out. And I said, what was that? And I thought, oh, man, that's probably what being happy is. And you just had your first second of it. And so from then on, I've been sort of chasing that dragon, I guess. <laughs> um, trying to figure out how to put myself in situations where I can be happy for the current moment and not let anything 
be a black cloud over me. And I would say um, for a very long time, like I said, I haven't had a panic attack. Like none of that stuff is really happening anymore. I haven't disassociated in a very long time. I remember the last time, but um, once, once I really tried to be in the present moment and forget about, um, or I guess forgive myself for being so hung up on things that have happened before um, that I realized that that black cloud is just not there anymore. And you're going to have storms come through, obviously, but the the overall experience of my life now is not that. And it just isn't. And I'm really happy about that. When So if, if Amanda, if Amanda popped onto the popped into the room what do you think she would say about what's different about her husband today than than uh in in 2000 uh 2017 well so that's also the hard part so when i started to change because of the therapy and it started to work um she would say things like oh you're goofy now <laughs> i would say yeah and she's like you're just being goofy you're being silly and laughing a lot all day and i'm like okay and she's like so that's good because <laughs> yeah i spent every day with her and you know obviously it's difficult for her to find out that that was my inner journey for all of those years that that was in the back of my head because we did have a lot of good times together, you know, and we still do, obviously. I'm just saying, you know, in the throes of my most horrible year, basically, 2016, 17, 18, we were going on international trips and going to New York and sitting at Tavern on the Green and things like that. So I must have seemed like I was enjoying myself. And I I don't know the word for, yeah, I was having a good time, but there was this horrible black cloud over my head and I was making plans to kill myself. So I don't know what that would be called. Um, but I know that hopefully I'm a lot better travel companion now and um, <laughs> I can sit with her and just literally be there instead of being triggered by things that are happening around us. And like I said, the whole room is on fire thing and I have to get out. That hasn't happened in a really long time. One of the... Um, Last times I checked out was that I was in a grocery store and I got a text message or a call from my mother. And that's always a tremendous, horrible trigger for me. And so I ended up, I was in the grocery store and I was in the gluten-free aisle and neither one of us is gluten-free. And I was just, she didn't know what I was doing. And she said, come on, we need to go get this stuff. And I said, can we just get out of here? I just need to get out of here. And then, so she's like, okay. And then we checked out our groceries. And by the time I had made it to the parking lot, I had come back into myself and I knew where I was. And I said, listen, I just have to tell you, my mom called. That's why I did that. I can recognize it now. I know what that is. And um, so she just, you know, held my arm and we drove home. So we had a few of those moments you know, building up until that last one where she could see that I was gone or checked out for a while um, and she would try to bring me back. But now that just doesn't have to happen anymore. So I hope that she can relax more when she's around me. She doesn't have to worry about me. She doesn't have to, you know, think that um, 
she's got to see where I'm at and if I'm in the room um, anymore. So that's hopefully a lot easier for her. Sure, sure. Well, and like you you mentioned, and I think this is, you know, important for significant others, family members, significant others of 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 individuals who are struggling in that darkness, right? That um that we that was your that was Amanda's normal of Adam. That was your mm-hmm. normal for 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 you. And we play characters. And, and, and then, and that's how we, we learn to cope. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're not experiencing certain things or whatever, but it's, uh, but it's not at the same, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work with someone who's uh, addicted or uh, alcoholic and they may, let's, let's say they're, let's, let's say they're functional from a standpoint of working and, and mm-hmm. they're not mean or, or whatever. And, and so it's, it's hard for them to let go of the substance because on uh, society's case boxes are checked but it it's 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 similar to what you're talking about it's it's moving around in a haze and not really being present mm-hmm. yeah so uh so you know in similar to what we've talked about you know uh you know regarding the characters that you followed growing up and in the books you read and the stories you read you know there there's this piece that when we go through that we get we get called or thrust into something that forces us to you know as as Luke was you know went into the cave uh, in Star Wars uh, or I think it was Empire Strikes Back you know to to you know to fight Darth Vader and he comes to find out that when his head comes off and the mask opens up that it's his face um, instead of Darth Vader's. Uh, you know that's that's usually who we find in the cave is ourself mm-hmm. and 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 so <clears throat> as you've as you've gone through this and, and continue the journey of self discovery, what are some of the things now that uh, that you're obviously the work that you're doing at at the public defender's office, you know, with what you shared earlier, but then you also have some other stuff that you're doing specifically for attorneys, specifically um, uh, for the greater uh, mental health awareness. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about the other work that you're doing. Yeah. So I do have a website, adamstivers.com and I do put blog posts and things up there. Um, but the goal is to just raise awareness among my community. So since 2019, I've been giving a CLE talk. That's a continuing legal education talk for attorneys and it's called, um, preventing attorney suicide. Um, which is, you know, pretty stark. <laughs> and, um, no one has any guesses about what that's about. Um, <laughs> but the subtitle is identifying causes, exploring solutions and taking action. So uh, when I first started that presentation, I did my research back in 2019. And I found that one out of 10 attorneys had considered suicide. And I just gave it recently back in May of this year. So I updated my slides and I found that the new information was that it was one out of five. So it has gotten twice as bad in the last four years. Um, Obviously COVID would have some impact I would imagine on that because of how it affected everybody's business um, in general. But um, so when I gave the talk in May, I said, 
How many, like sort of towards the beginning, but in the middle, how many of you have ever heard anybody talking like this? <laughs> and they said, none of them. So nobody's talking about this with our community. And I don't know what the issue is specifically, but I can guess, um, you know, you're supposed to seem like a hard charging, competent, on top of everything person. And it's really hard to admit vulnerability when you're supposed to represent people who are even more vulnerable or in, um, you know, potentially more vulnerable situations than yourself. Um, and it is also super competitive and the whole job is changing now with AI. So it's gonna get worse in that regard. Um, so being the guy at the firm who has the mental health issues and has to leave at lunch to go for a walk for an hour, but can, can't, you know, charge through a Zoom meeting because he's got to go take care of himself. Um, that's not necessarily considered a bonus yet in this community. So I'm trying to make that seem like that's the guy you want on the team because he's the one taking care of himself and he's the one that's going to be here for 10 years, 15 years, and he's going to provide better service to the clients. And so that's really all that I care about spreading the message. I mean, I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not packaging it. I don't have a book or anything that I'm trying to sell full of this stuff. I, I'm just trying to get the word out there. So I'm on Twitter trying to talk about it and there's like no engagement on Twitter. I, I search for hashtags for these topics and no one's saying anything. Um, I just recently started a LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and I'm getting a lot better responses there from people, you know, um, it's usually just, oh, you're doing good work and things like that. But oftentimes they don't even post it publicly. So the, the stigma is just wild in, in the legal profession. It just really is. Um, and all I'm trying to do is break that by coming out and being as open and honest as I can um, on as many platforms as I can. There's a lot of places talking about it but there's not a lot of engagement about it. So there'll be articles from the American Bar Association or the Illinois Bar Association, and they'll post it up and it's got a nice little picture and everything. And then two likes, you know, one of them's me. <laughs> so like, <laughs> They have a hundred thousand people following them and two of them are willing to click a heart on something that says, let's stop each other from, you know, ending our lives. So it really needs to become something where more people just say, yeah, listen, I have a meditation mat in my office. You want to come and use it? You want me to tell you how to do it? Um, I can come to your office and run you through a 10-minute meditation right now, you know? So, oh, that's the other thing. There's the, the lawyer assistance program that really helped me. And at the time, they paid for six months of me going to therapy. Like, it really is an amazing organization. Um, I'm hoping to become a peer reference locally. So there's these posters that they put in the courthouse that have my name on it and it'll have Judge Balo and Judge Gibbons and some other people that have gone through this training. Um, but that training's coming up either J June or July, I should be able to do it um, so that people will know they can just walk into my office and I can help them out. And um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to get it out there as much as I can that this is an issue. It's something we can talk about. We can get help for it. It is not hard to get help. It's hard to do the work, but it's not hard to get the help offered to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I know that we had, when we originally talked about scheduling today, um, uh, it was right around the time that I was asked to speak. Uh, it, was my, it was my second time speaking to um, 
the the state's attorneys uh, meet once a year af, uh, in Rockford and uh and a few years ago before the pandemic they had me speak and then and then in May they had me speak uh the the topic was similar I just updated it similar to yourself it was on mm-hmm. secondary trauma and mm-hmm. and and self-care and uh it and I remember uh the the former uh or I guess it was two ago uh uh Bruscato was the state's attorney at the time, and and he obviously was there. And I brought them through the second part of it, where we do. Um, and I was the last of the day. It was a you know it was mm-hmm. a, a full day, I think it was you know. And I was the last last speaker, and I brought them brought all these. You know, there must have been 150 of them from all over the state, and and uh, and I brought them through uh, a tapping exercise uh, along with a box breathing exercise. And he said to me afterwards, going, Kevin, I'm surprised. I'm glad, but I'm surprised that almost everyone who was there participated in the tapping. So you you know, with a you know, you're doing this in front of everybody, or I'm doing it in front of everybody, but everyone's <laughs> sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, that for whatever reason, and maybe it was because it was toward the you know the middle, toward the end of the talk, or or in, and people were you know comfortable enough you know with the presentation up to that point. Or, or and or I never expected people not to do it right I mean I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just here's the invitation this is what we're going to do and 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 I think to your point is that people want to participate in finding ways and techniques to take care of themselves and and manage their stress it's just that they don't always want or are unsure about letting people out into the the world wide web world <laughs> know mm-hmm. about it. Right. And, and I, yeah. I think that, I think there's something uh, there's definitely more work around that idea of, of breaking, you know, sh- we talk about shatter of the silence around it. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just the end result of suicide, but we talk about the, the, the result of someone under the age of 18 being sexually assaulted, being bullied, uh, struggling with eating disorders of body image, domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness. Those are the those are the primary things that we talk about and that suicide happens to be the end result of those factors on top of each other mm-hmm. um, becoming so overwhelming that people don't think that they can uh, that that cloud will that haze or that cloud will ever leave mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and in terms of just learning how to do it uh yeah they're able to pass law school they're able to pass the bar exam but they won't figure out how to get through the day without um well one of the biggest problems is drinking they said um i think it's around 35 percent of attorneys are problem drinkers uh so if you just bring it up to drink too much, it's probably way higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're afraid to um, go to therapy. They're afraid to be open with even their coworkers, let alone someone alone in a room. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that just posting the things that I put on um, the website and LinkedIn and doing shows like this, uh, my only hope is that I get somebody interested in figuring out how to get themselves through the day in a positive way. 
Um, I have a 14 day medica- meditation course that's free on YouTube. Also, it's 14, 10 minute meditations that people can use. And, um, you know, there's a lot out there. You just have to get, get moving, <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, no, I, you know, the best thing is a professional too. You got to go to somebody and they'll tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. I mean, when I showed up, uh, from day one, she had me writing down what one good thing that happened that day. And so I got an app on my phone called day one. And I just started writing one good thing that happened every day into that journal. And I made a thousand in a row, um, and then stopped doing it. <laughs> like <laughs> you just, and then she's like, okay, well, let's figure this out. Like, why do you want to stop doing it? Do you think you're okay? stopping doing it. And so, you know, they'll tell you that day what you need to do that week to get through and then come back and figure out, okay, let's, what are we going to do this week to make it happen? So um, you just never know what little thing you can do that will help you so much. I mean, writing down one good thing um, was just ridiculously helpful and you wouldn't even, you know, you don't even have to keep it. Like you can write it down on a post-it note and throw it away, but you at least recognize what happened that day. Um, and doing a 10 minute meditation every day, it just becomes like brushing your teeth. You just have to do it. You have to do it. Um, it clears everything away. It calms every, every part of your body down. Um, today I do 20 minutes and I don't, I used to use a guided meditation, like the ones that are on my website, but now I just do 20 minutes with a ding every minute. I use a, (laughs) it's a high intensity interval training, training app on my phone where you're supposed to run for 30 seconds and then stop or whatever. But I figured out, Hey, I could use this in meditation. So I just set it for 20 and I have it ding every minute to bring me back in case my thoughts are wandering, which they always do. Um, and that's what works for me. So yeah, it, you just never know the thing that's going to work And at the beginning. You really should talk to somebody who can tell you, try this one and see if it works. Yeah. Um, so that's all I'm trying to do is give people a push out. Well, and I think, I think you're a hundred percent, you know, hundred percent right. And we talk about, and, and I spend time talking with the therapist, you know, every, every week we have a, depending on which office it is, we have a, a time uh, for an hour, we call it personal and professional development. And um, for that hour, we, we talk about either I'll, either myself or someone I'll have, uh, we'll, we'll bring a, you know, bring a clip in or we'll, we'll practice a particular, you know, exercise. First, we do it for ourselves. Um, in our own personal journey. And then we do it so that we can then bring it into our sessions um, because we recognize that our role, one, we have to do our own journey uh, mm-hmm. and work our own work our own path. And then so that we can be available to be the guide for someone walking their journey because mm-hmm. we can't fix anybody. You, could, you know, all we can do is walk with them and guide them you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and to your point, you know, we'll give some, we'll give suggestions on, on what to do, or depending on where a person's at, we may give assignments to, Mm -hmm. to where they're at because they, they need more of that guidance and structure. And, and then it, it, it may evolve, right. Where Mm -hmm. it's, it's less about the assignments. It's more about, you know, um, you know, what, Adam, what do you want to work on today? What what do you bring to the table? What's come up since the last time we met? Type of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's it's all that part of the part of the journey. But yes, to your point, in the beginning, um, there are very uh, not only the relationship development, um, but 
there are development of goals and mm-hmm. and the the assessment of where a person's at um, from a from a, a biopsychosocial uh, mental health perspective. And so then we kind of you know build a build a plan or a treatment plan around that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, when you think of, uh, you know, when you think of something that, and and you may have already touched on this, but so if you have, then, you know, uh, you could just reiterate that. But if you think of something that you've learned about yourself that you wouldn't have learned if 2018 wouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. what, what would you, what would you say if we were going to give something to the listeners, something that you've learned about yourself that you wouldn't have learned if that proverbial bottom wouldn't have happened. Um, Mm -hmm. What what would you, what would you say? The word that comes to mind is that I'm resilient and it's probably because the therapists will say that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that shows how resilient you are and that you got through that in this way. And they would, you know, point out that I had been using coping skills that I didn't really even know existed or what they were. Um, So yeah, the ability to understand what's going on and adapt myself to, to overcome that issue um, was something I didn't really even think I had. Um, But now I would suggest that I'm one of the most resilient people I know. I mean, I can get through anything if I've been through what I've gone through already. Um, And now I have good tools and nice ways of doing it. And I know that I'm doing it. You know, you can take specific actions to get through things. Um, And so, yeah, my resilience is something I didn't know that I had. But now looking back, I realize, you know, I got through a lot. Um, It it almost ended badly, but it didn't. And I got through that, too. So, um, yeah, I guess that's probably the thing is that I, I do have a resilient nature that I didn't really necessarily understand. Yeah, perfect. You know, in that darkest moment, right, in that darkest time, you you said to Amanda, without knowing you were saying it, you know, uh, you reached out to someone who you love, you love, and who loves you, and and she maybe didn't know what to do but she reached out to your brother and even though he may not known what to do but they stepped into it and kind of like you know if someone's in the water and they're not able to swim you know you know there's you may have to get wet doesn't necessarily mean that you have to join them and drown you know Mm -hmm. with it but but you know being able to to reach out even though you didn't even if you didn't believe that there was a possibility that it could change, you still reached out anyways. Mm -hmm. And even though she and your brother didn't know necessarily what to do, they did something Mm -hmm. and, and, and reached out to someone who did know what to do. And then the ball, the door started opening and the ball started going. And obviously, as you know, it's not, there's nothing easy about going into that cave. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if it was, you would have done it. Everyone would do it, mm-hmm. but what you get from it um, is beyond magical. Yeah, and it's got to, you know, it's pretty heavy to have a wife who totally saved your life in a real way. Yeah. Um, but she kept me going every day for 22 years so far. Um, and I know now that it's not her responsibility to keep me going. <laughs> and um, that was probably too much to lay on her at the time. Um, 
And it's good that now we can just be, um, or we're getting to the point where we can just be, and she doesn't have to worry about me as much. Um, but I know that that's heavy. And for people who want to help other people, it is tough. I mean, I lost most of my friends when this happened. You know, I started to reach out and I started to get help. And I realized these people just aren't actually my friends and things are not, I'm not getting any, you know, reach out from people. Um, and so I just left a bunch of people behind because they just weren't ready to come on the ride, you know. Um, but then the friends that are still here are even more valuable. Um, and so, yeah, if you have someone and you see them drowning in the ocean, which is definitely what I was doing, um, you just have to throw out a life preserve and try to pull them in. And um, it it is tough. And it's, you know, not something everybody is, you know, in the right position to even do, let's say. So, um I, d I just hope that if you know somebody that's struggling, that you would um, be there for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, I, I so appreciate the work that you're doing and and the journey that you are on and continue. Um, it, it It is, you know, early in the 90s when I first started working, we would talk about substance abuse and it was it, we would we, we felt like we had to tell people that treatment works because. Mm -hmm there was such a stigma about therapy and treatment and, and your story is a story that, that it does work if you work it. And then you, mm -hmm. and if you are willing to, uh, you know, do the, do, do the, keep showing up, mm -hmm. do the work, do the, do the work outside of the sessions, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Which is, it's easy to go to, once you start doing it, it's easy to go to counseling. It becomes harder to do the assignments in between the sessions mm -hmm. and, 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 and the continual, continual growth and development piece of mm -hmm. it. And uh, so it, it's, uh, it's, you're fortunate that you have, if I caught what you said, uh, that you have a partner that is also a yoga instructor um, mm -hmm. so that she could recognize uh, uh as she as she's teaching you know uh if she's practicing what she's teaching uh that she's able to stay grounded and present as mm -hmm. well so um, perfect so the best way for a listener to get a hold of you or to pass along your information what, what would be the best way probably just go into the website adamstivers.com i have okay. links all over there for um social media things like that i have a twitter and um linkedin now seems to be going well i'm getting a lot of good positive feedback you know um i use chat gpt a lot <laughs> the uh, ai chatbot and it kept telling me you got to have a linkedin page you're trying to help people in your profession you got to get on the linkedin and um link up with people in the in the industry so that's what i've done and so it seems to be going well yeah i'm just trying to get the word out there but they can reach me at my website yeah Okay, perfect. And I will have that in, in the in the show notes as well. So again, Adam, uh, I, I hope to have you, uh, we'll reconnect and, uh, and we'll have you on, on the, on the show again to do another episode. Um, maybe, uh, maybe an appropriate time to do that will be this coming September for suicide awareness month. We'd be a yeah, good sure. time to have you on again. So be but, great. Uh, I'd love to come back anytime. Okay. Sounds great. 
And for anybody that is listening today, if there was something that Adam shared uh, in his story about uh, regarding his journey, and you think that they that someone could benefit from it, or you yourself um, uh, want to reach out, uh, obviously there's there's going to be information at uh, adamstivers.com. Uh, if it's a, a critical moment and in crisis moment, uh, please reach out to 988, which is the mental health or suicide hotline, um, as well as uh, there's a multitude of agencies in the Rockford area or uh, or your local agency. Uh, KP Counseling is one of them, but there's, there's a multitude of agencies. So uh, as always, I appreciate you being here and look forward to being with you next week. Thanks.